Welcome to the Egg Gap Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Phillips. You can call me Mariah because that's my name. And I'm thrilled to have you on this journey with me and all of the spectacular guests who jump on the podcast to give you more options for educating children so that children have more options for building a magnificent future. The Egg Gap Evolution Podcast is a digital community where parents, educators, and innovators drop the details on how they are using their lives to help children explore the vastness of education beyond the textbook so that we can close America's education gap together. And just in case you didn't get the memo, producing a podcast is a whole lot of work. We're talking schedule coordination, production, the list goes on and on. So in return for bringing you this show every week, we just ask that you always find a way to share and use what you learn on the podcast to enrich children and families everywhere. Alrighty, without further ado, come along with me to meet our very next guest. Today, we're speaking with Tony Lawson, who is the founder of The Bee Organization, a nonprofit based in Baltimore, Maryland, that encourages and nurtures youth to live above socially imposed limitations and develop their character, talents, and leadership skills, which allows them to go beyond a dream and achieve remarkable excellence. We'll dive into the good work happening at The Bee Org in just a minute. But first, Tony, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so excited for folks to just get this information about what you're doing for children and families and truly for the world. Um, And we can't wait to hear more about your personal story and exactly how the Bee Org came to be. But I want to rewind a bit to your mission statement um, that I just read in the intro. What are socially imposed limitations and how do they harm youth? Yeah, so socially imposed limitations are any environmental external factors that inhibit you from achieving success. And so sometimes they are um, most of the time they're things that they can't control, systemic things that have been put in place for years and years um, and just in general, things that our youth struggle with day to day. So just lack of supports in the education space or um, lack of resources available to them and their families that um, prohibit their families from obtaining housing or other things that impact their health that are just systemic and above um, their own control. I feel like, you know, when it comes to education, sometimes it is something that folks can overlook. You know, we can want to help children as much as we can, but if we're not talking about the environment and the things that are contributing to their everyday life, you know, then, then are we really talking about the, a well-rounded educational experience or, you know, just a, a being experience as a human being. Yeah, for sure. There are just things like uh, that are uh, above them, things they can't control, but ultimately really limit their success and limit their ability to stay focused and just live a well-rounded life. Absolutely. And speaking of success and staying focused, <laughs> you are no stranger to staying focused um, because of all the great things that are happening with the organization and in your, your life beyond that. Um, so could you tell listeners more about you, where you're from? Like, who's Tony? Yeah, so I am originally from Prince George's County. I made my way to the Baltimore area by way of Towson University many, many years ago. And I have kind of just found a home and a place in Baltimore. I love Baltimore community. I love the city. I love the culture. 
Um, and this is now my new home. And so I started the B Org in 2014 um, after a project with my sorority. I'm an AKA um, and some individuals from my sorority. They just encouraged me to um really run with the leadership program that I had developed for middle school girls and, and kind of make it my own. And that is kind of how B got its founding. Um, and it, it was really just other seeing qualities in me, um, you know, seeing, seeing my drive and seeing, you know, the, my ability to do programming and things like that. And my passion for the youth that allowed them to continue to encourage me to expand on that. Um, and, and that's kind of how I jumped into it. Nonprofit was never my first go-to. I never woke up and was like, yeah, I want to be a nonprofit executive. I want to be a founder. <laughs> I want to be an entrepreneur. No, that was not the story at all. Um, I kind of just fell into it. And now it's my passion. It's my job. Yes, but it's my passion. So I'm thankful that I get an opportunity to live out my passion every day. That's amazing. And you mentioned that um, like your sorority sisters and people saw qualities in you that you you may not have that may not have been amplified to you as much as they were to other people, because, you know, it's different when people are looking at our lives versus we can we can be confident in ourselves. But it's nice to have that outward perspective. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So even as children, we all have very distinct personalities. Um, so I'm wondering, how would those who knew you best as a kid describe you like from ages five to 18? Oh, I am. I still am very inquisitive. Um, I always need an answer. I need to know why, how, when. Um, and I kind of I will challenge you or challenge anyone until I get a concrete answer and explanation to anything. And so that's right. <laughs> I I just that's just how my mind works. Like I need to know what mechanism is in place to cause these things to happen and that's probably where my love for um my love for science comes in um because I'm always just you know, I'm into processes and into how things work in, in larger systems and things like that. So that is that's how my mind works. And that's where I actually get the most joy in running a business, um, putting systems in place as, you know, operationally. But then also on the STEM side, since my background is in science, you know, being able to um, teach our young people that, right, and still being able to make connections to science concepts that they're learning in the classroom to things that we actually do in real life. It's really interesting that you say that that's how you've always been, because clearly like that is what you are infusing into the lives of children through this organization. And I'm again, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I just think it's so wonderful how the and the importance of getting concrete answers and truths mm-hmm. in the world, you know, that is yeah. just vital. When we talk about your career, you know, you said that um, doing this sort of work has has always been like being this person has always been your passion and getting into STEM and things has always been something that you've been interested in. So let's talk about your career. You weren't always in the K through 12 learning space. Um, so maybe from freshman year of college, um, I can barely remember freshman year, but if you can, great. <laughs> from freshman year of college to the last day at your nine to five before you became a founder and full time in your business. Can you walk us through that journey? Yeah, so early on um, in my educational journey, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, So I was pre-med for a little while, and then that kind of switched to wanting to be 
um, a physician assistant because lifestyle and family and having, you know, free time is important to me. Like I love to work, but I don't want that to be consuming and to be my life. And so I thought with Pete um, being a physician assistant would allow me a little more flexibility to just live. Right. And so that was kind of my goal. Um, And in full transparency, I only applied to like two or three PA schools after undergrad and I didn't get in, but I didn't have a mentor and I did not have anyone to help me like really um, plan that next step of my of my educational journey or, um, you know, to chart chart that career path for me or with me. So I kind of gave up on my dreams. And so when I talk to young people today and because I didn't know I didn't know what to do, like I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know that it was common for people to not get in the first their first time. I'm someone that's coming from, you know, lots of academic success and never really hearing no. Right. From admissions counselors or anything ever before. So I didn't know how to navigate that. I was like, well, okay, maybe this just isn't for me. Um, So I started exploring other career paths and um, journeys and things like that. And so I tell people now, tell young people all the time, don't settle for that. No, Um, don't settle for, you know, your first rejection. That's just oftentimes a delay to, you know, you achieving your dreams and just a redirection, but it's never a no forever. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I went and got a job right after college um, in the STEM field. I worked in a lab um, creating cosmetics for a big pharmaceutical company that's local here. I won't name them, but it was a horrible, horrible experience (laughs) for they treated kids out of college so bad. So terribly. Um, And I was turned off and I did not have that human interaction that I needed. Like I was in the lab working on, you know, whatever I was making at the time. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. But I was like by myself and, you know, working on whatever I was working on and not having anybody to talk to or you know, connect with, I was like, oh, I can't do this. I needed the human interaction. And that was so, so um, terribly like missing from that, that job. Um, So I stayed there for a while. And then I was like, well, maybe, you know, I can go and get my master's and then really um, try to jump into maybe policy and regulations because I enjoy that. Um, And so at the time, this is many, many years ago during the first, um, the first recession, the first economic depression many years ago, right after college. So all of the government jobs were like down, um, you know, they were like literally not hiring anyone to do anything. Um, companies, you know, had hit a hard financial times as well. So the job market was pretty, pretty terrible. And so I actually got a job with um, Baltimore County Government and Human Services. And I loved it because here we go. There's that human interaction I was missing. And during that time, I also went back to school full time and got my um, my master's degree in biotechnology. So I was working full time and going to school full time. It was a lot, but it, you know, it I was young at the time and <laughs> ambitious and it happened. It worked for me. Um, and so from there, I kind of just stayed in county government um, and um, 
you know, just got promoted to different positions and started working more with community organizations and grant funded programs, uh, which led me to a a federal government job uh, working with AmeriCorps. And that was like my dream job. I loved it. I was able to work with youth. I was still able to work with Baltimore community. Um, I had a good position. And then we had a change in presidency and they came in and cut the program significantly. Um, and so myself and others got laid off. Um, and this was 2017. And I was like heartbroken. I was like, I love this job. How how dare you? Like, why don't you find this program? It's, you know, it's needed. It's widespread across the country. Um and I felt like the rug had got pulled from under me. Um, and so at that time, I was also working my nonprofit, um, not full time, but long hours. Right. So I had a full time job. I had the nonprofit. I would leave work during lunchtime to go to different schools to do programming. And my lunch breaks got long and long and I found myself working, you know, late hours to try to compensate for the time that I was out, you know, taking off early, leaving early, staying late, you know, and it got to be a lot. So in my mind, I was like, you know what, this is probably it this year. I need to I think I can run my nonprofit full time. And then I got laid off and I was like, okay, God, maybe, maybe you were telling me that I was, I was dragging my feet and you were ready for me to be in this area, um, a lot sooner than what I thought I was ready for. And so I kind of, in 2017, just hit the ground running like middle of the year. That's when we first in the summer, we had our first summer camp in the Poppleton community, um, in Baltimore, that community, um, embraced and opened their arms and, welcome to me and I had I knew nothing about it but I had connections to the social worker from University of Maryland there and she was excited about our programming and the opportunity to provide you know summer enrichment learning for the young people in in that neighborhood and so that's kind of how um my journey has gone from school to you know career choices and and working the nonprofit full-time and here we are seven years later uh, from the time that we were founded to this now being my full-time job. That's, I mean, there are almost no words. Um, <laughs> it's a lot, it's, I know. <laughs> it's, it's just like, because what I hear is like how aligned everything was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I know at the time, it's it can be scary like let's be real you know you get laid off you're like oh I was planning to start this thing down the line but it looks like I'm gonna have to start it now yeah Um, and I just think it's so special because it also speaks to how you're at your organization you're training kids to have those skills where if life throws something at you and you gotta switch gears Mm -hmm. you know and just and get to work then you can go ahead and do that. You know, yeah. you have the skills to do that. So thank you for sharing. Um, and so when you went and started the summer camp, you know, when you jumped into the summer camp, were you focusing on STEM during that summer enrichment program? Or like, what did that first activation look like? Um, it was focused on literacy and social awareness. And of course, STEM, because that's my passion. Um, and so we had, a, it was a lot of literacy though, because we know summer, summer learning loss is real, um, for our young people. And, um, it was, the funding was for a comprehensive camp. Um, so touching on all areas. So STEM, literacy, arts, 
um, social awareness, all those good things. But I think reading is fundamental in all learning things, reading and math. And so we threw a lot of educational concepts um, into our programming. That's excellent. So with well-rounded, um, which is a theme that it literally we've only been talking for 15 minutes, but a theme <laughs> that continues yeah, yeah. to come up and it's just so important. Um, so moving down the line from when you had that first camp activation to now you have the B organization. Can you tell us what what was your ultimate inspiration for starting the organization? Like what was that moment where you were like, all right, Tony, you know, let's pull it together what was the first step we have to take um, to get this started? And what makes the B organization different from other programs that put an emphasis on STEM skills? Yeah, so we focus a lot on social and emotional learning. Um, and that is any of those soft skills, as they're so affectionately called, um, soft skills or life skills that you use day to day, um, which is like your communication or being self-aware or how to work together on a team or even being a leader. Um, and so oftentimes employers say that our students or students in general are just not prepared with those skills when they get to the workforce. They're struggling to work on teams. They're struggling to um, communicate effectively. And so we focus on those things um, so that when the time comes, our students are able to pair their social skills with their technical skills and really skyrocket their their success. Um, and so for me, the B-Org started um, around um, a story of my line sister, her niece. Um, she was struggling with the transition from um, to middle school. And I asked her, you know, like, have you joined any clubs? Have you met any new friends? Um, you know, what are you doing? How how are things? And she kind of just blew me off like any normal teenager, preteen would, <laughs> like, ugh, ugh, whatever. And I was like, no, really, like you said that you were really um, interested in becoming an actress and you wanted to, um, you know, you really wanted to pursue acting. Have you considered joining the drama club? And she's like, ugh, no. And then long story short, she ended up saying that nobody in Baltimore ever makes it. <gasps> yeah and so I that was kind of like my reaction to my heart was broken for her just to be so defeated yeah by the circumstances of her environment really like really like just living in such a hard city and you know seeing so so much struggle and violence and you know negativity around her she could not see past that and I just felt so heartbroken for her because it like at that age, you could not tell me that there was anything I could not achieve. And I mm -hmm. wanted that for her, but she couldn't see past it. And so that's kind of how the mission came about. Um, the organization came about and where where we really decided to focus in on like building students up, like really giving them those skills, that confidence, helping them see beyond just their four corners or their neighborhood or what's directly in front of them. So we're really big on exposure. And that's why I say social awareness, just like um, things that are going on in society, but just things that, you know, different careers and different experiences so that they know, our students know that there's other things out there beyond what's going on in their neighborhoods. That's so special because 
um, I was at a gathering a few weeks ago and in Baltimore, for listeners, I too am in Baltimore. We're both in Baltimore. I'm from here. Um, and, and I have a friend who's a singer and she, you know, she's doing what she has to do to get her name out there. And the guy literally interrupted her while she was talking. And he literally said, you know, don't nobody make it out of this town. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was crazy. I was just, I, I literally like, I, I put my drink down. Like I was just like, whoa, like that mm-hmm. is it, to have for that mentality to be pervasive there has to be something, you know, we have to take a look at why is that the case and, and how can we prevent that mentality in places like Baltimore and places around the world um, that are, you know, where people are growing up and, and landing as adults with that sort of mentality about the area that they're from. So I'm really, um, it's exciting guys, you know, what the B org is doing to cat, to get kids, kids at that age where they're, they're, they're shape of their, perspective of the world is being molded you know when you're that age k through 12 that is such an informative age as far as like who you become and -hmm. you know what you believe about yourself so i we're grateful for the work um that you are doing in that way and um so i had the opportunity to check out (laughs) the most the newest thing that you are doing at the b org so you've teamed up with Black Girls Cook to launch something called the Food Playground. Yes. Um, and could you explain to us what the Food Playground is? Yeah. So the Food Playground, this is probably one of my favorite programs. Uh, and it's because I get to infuse so much STEM into this learning space. So the Food Playground teaches um, young adolescent girls of color um, how to cook using STEM. So we literally go through um, a lab and experiment or science lesson every, you know, session. Um, And then whatever they do in the lab, they replicate in the kitchen. So whether we're learning about emulsions and why oil and vinegar doesn't mix, um, the culinary lesson will be to make a summer salad with um, with a vinaigrette, like in the vinaigrette that they make from scratch. So we're teaching them healthy eating. We're teaching them life transferable skills. Um, We also do some gardening. So they're doing some farm to table. Um, And it's just an amazing, amazing program. And so for me, from my perspective from STEM, it's not often that our young um, our young black girls see representation in the STEM, STEM industry. And the same thing for Chef Nicole and culinary. There's not you know, that many black chefs. I mean, it's a hard industry to um, survive in as a black woman. And so putting those two together and allowing our young people the opportunity to see us um, and to know that you can still be, you can be successful. This is a career, like an attainable career that um, you can work towards. It's amazing. Um, But for me, Again, the science part is what really gets my heart going because these are lessons that the kids learn in school and to see them really being applied um, to real life things and to for them to experience them in hands on capacity. Like you can literally see their faces when the light bulb goes off, like, oh, now I understand this fraction conversion from one yeah. fourth, you know, teaspoon to whatever, or you know, now I understand um, acids and bases or, you know, it, it's those little things like those aha moments for them that just like 
make my whole day. <laughs> my whole <laughs> face lights up. I'm like, yes, you get it. I, you understand. And so now when you go back to school, you do not have to be intimidated when you go to science and when you go to biology and when you go to math because you understand that these are really things that happen in real life and this is how you apply them. So that is my favorite program um, for those very reasons. When you talk about not being intimidated when you get b- back in the classroom, that is so important because like, well, you know, a lot of folks um, who have been kind enough to join us on the podcast, just say the confidence is just such a key factor when it comes to children, even believing that they can learn a concept. Mm-hmm. And even as us adults, like when we think about back when we learned how to drive, somebody could tell you driving is easy all day. But until you got behind that wheel and realized that little bit of pressure you put on that pedal is going to send that car flying forward, you know, you're mm-hmm. actually touching it and feeling it. And so I think um, the in the the full cycle of what this uh, the food playground is and does for children um, and, and, and training their minds, it's just a very, very, very cool concept. And I'm excited to see um, how far it goes and where it goes, because I know I like to eat. And I don't know anybody who doesn't. So, <laughs> yes, it's, so um, we're in our second, actually, yeah, our second full year of the food playground. Um, oh, so, so you've we, been doing this for a minute now. Mm-hmm, so we've done. Uh, we did a pilot, and I, I, bef- I like completely forget about 2020. Like that's etched out of my memory permanently. I know, that's probably why I'm thinking of everything. <laughs> like since January 2021, I've been talking about everything as if the world didn't exist before. 20. 21 seriously me too so we we did this um in 2019 um and then in 2020 during the summer summertime our program was all virtual for the food playground and so we'll actually be virtual again this summer 2021 um with two cohorts at the end of july and early august um so it virtual it was intimidating but it ended up working out really well the students got weekly grocery deliveries um, of all the perishable items that they needed to cook with or um, experiment with in lab. And it just worked out perfectly. So we'll be running that back again this year and definitely looking forward to it. That is so exciting. Um, and so let's talk reality and we're going to do a little bit of role play. So okay. the B Org is a nonprofit. Um, and for those who may not be too familiar, it means that uh, the organization really relies on donations, grants, gifts, uh, et cetera, to fund its mission. So recently on Instagram, you broke down for us the challenge of persuading some funders that culturally responsive social emotional learning is important and also deserves funding. So let's say that I'm a funder I, and, you know, my pen's on my checkbook, but I need a bit more convincing as to why culturally responsive social emotional learning needs funding and is important. Can you give me a one minute pitch for why I should give maybe a $250,000 uh, grant or gift to the program? Oh, you put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> yes, let me think. Let me think. So culturally responsive social emotional learning programming is essential to the long-term success of our young people. It gives them an opportunity to actually relate 
to the facilitators, the educators that they are working with. You can't teach something if you've never lived it or experienced it. Um, And so that is where we find the most success in our programming is because it's true to who we are. It's true to our experiences. It's authentic to our culture. Um, It's one thing to see things in a book, but it's another one to speak from your lived experiences. And so that's what we do with our programming. That's how we build the best relationships with our students. Um, They can see our authenticity, authenticity, our our lived experiences, our respect for them and and just, you know, the strong bond in, in a relationship. And once you get past that and, and living your truth, then the educational part just comes so naturally after that. And so allowing our students that opportunity is pivotal. And if there is somebody out there listening with a 250K check, please hit me up. <laughs> You you look if you're listening to this, <laughs> and you are the person with the two hundred fifty thousand dollar check, or you know someone, you yes. see, you hear the good work that's being done. Seriously, guys, um, you know th- we have to make sure that children are really getting these 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 full circle life skills. Um, and so Tony, I when when it comes to I know the conversations can be sensitive sometimes, but do you find that when it comes to funders that they may be on board until you mention the social the culture responsive social emotional learning piece or like when I just wonder like is it okay I'm fine with everything else but I have a problem with this piece being in there can you take it out sort of thing no if we get to the conversation with the funder then they um I think they're they're opening their eyes to understanding that there is a void in you know in this area and who better to do it than those who are closest to the work Mm-hmm. And I or closest to the problem. Um, and I think I think the message is finally resonating, right? Like last right. year was hard for so many reasons, living in that dual pandemic of, you know, racial injustice and or the the heightened awareness of racial injustice, because we know that it didn't just start last year. Um, but but the heightened awareness of those social issues. Um, coupled with the pandemic really shone a light on um, on all of the issues and and really spotlighted some of the the opportunities for organizations who are doing this work like to really come to the forefront and so if you get down to a conversation with the funder that is you know you're you're in in a good position but then you have to hope that that funder um, is able to relay that message or that information to the board. And so project officers, I'm getting a, going into a quick lesson in philanthropy, but right project on. officers or program officers, grant officers, they are oftentimes not the ones to make the final decision. The boards of the foundations are. And that is where the issue comes in because those are the people who who control the purse and can control the decisions, but they are not always the ones who are closest to the work and are very um, very removed from the reality of the needs of the community because you know you're talking about people who are sitting on hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars making decisions for people who are in 
um, you know, very impoverished areas. They don't have a clue what they need. And if they aren't hearing the voice of the people or the voice of the children or executives like myself or even the program officers at the foundation, then they don't typically, you know, they it's hard for them to make a decision based on that. They many times make the decision based on, you know, the organizations, the larger organizations that have the hundreds of thousand dollars of marketing budget who they see regularly in the papers and on the news and on the news channels and, you know, whose stories are amplified because they already have the money to do that. And so if you can't get through that red tape, then you probably will not get the dollars. And so that's where we are now is in a position to, uh, we're, we're trying to position ourselves to um, amplify our story and and make our voice really heard and really shine some light on the problems. But not only the problems, because everybody knows those, but the solutions that we've created um, to remedy some of these issues and, and really um, put our young people in position to have them sh- share their truths and their success stories so we can continue to fund and support our programs. And if so, you guys are, you know, getting through the red tape, you're sharing your story, you're, you know, continuing to fund your program through, you know, through larger funders. But what if everyday people just wanted to support your mission? What if everyday people just wanted to get involved? Is there, is there a way that folks like myself or, you know, a mom or anybody could, um, who might not be able to write a $5,000 check can support what you all are doing? Yeah, um, our website, um, the beorg.com, T H E B E O R G.com, or our Instagram, the beorg, um, is the best way to connect with us. Or if you want to make a donation, you can do so there. There's links on both of those pages um, to be able to donate. And no gift is too small. We, um, you know, we love all of our donors because you did not have to contribute, you know. You don't have to contribute your money to us. We say we're doing good things, but um, you you can contribute where your heart desires. And so we are appreciate appreciative of all of those individuals who do sow their, these seeds into us. Um, just know that the money is always going directly back to the students. Right now, we are looking to fund laptops for our Be Virtual program that allows Um, students to learn to code for virtual reality and they actually do code our social and emotional learning curriculum. So it gives our our students an opportunity to um, increase their learning retention rate by giving them like an experiential learning platform. And so we're looking for money to fund those for um, for our young people that don't have computers in the home and have to give their computers back to the schools at the end of the school year and close that digital equity divide that is so prevalent in the city. Um, So, yes, donations of any size are always, always appreciated. Yes. Thank you for letting us know how we can um, support and donate. And I think that's really cool what you're, you're talking about, the be virtual aspect, um, you know, really prioritize, really closing up that, that tech gap and making sure um, all sorts of resources are available to children to do what they can do, you know, do what they're capable of. And I think what's really cool um, about your organization is not only do you do that, prioritizing the tangible, but you also prioritize the intangible, things like character and when I went on your website and I saw your program things, um, one thing that really stood out to me was that you prioritize character education. So 
I'm wondering, when did you come to the realization that character education is something that children are in need of? And how do we begin to educate children on character? Yeah, so we that's a part of that social and emotional learning. And so um, we follow the castle framework if, for educators out there. Um, it's just a widely adopted um, blueprint for social and emotional learning. It touches on um, a couple of different components um, and we fit character education into that. And so because we want to give students an opportunity to to build character at earlier ages. Our character education lessons are available for students in grades two through five. Um, that's primarily the, um, the students that we work with in the after school time space. And so um, a part of developing your character, you, it requires you to be self-aware. And so being self-aware, socially aware, um, it, it's just super important. So the earlier that they can get those lessons and those activities and even conversations with parents or those family engagement touch points about being self-aware and knowing who you are and what your triggers are and how to work through those it it all it it, um supports your your character development early on um it helps build a strong foundation for you as a person um, so we, we love to do those activities with our young people. And you'll see us doing a lot of that this summer as well um, with some of our school sites. But yes, character education starting in grade, um, starting at grade two for us is pivotal. That's amazing. Um, and I just want to take a few moments to like, zo- let's zoom out a bit um, when we're talking about education as a whole. What do you think the world is taking too long to realize when it comes to the way that we educate children and how are you changing that? Oh my goodness, that students learn differently. Um, and you have to be able to speak to the different learning styles of students in order to um, in order to really help them excel. All students are not auditory learners, all students are not visual learners, all students are not, you know, kinesthetic learners, but All students cannot learn sitting down. Right. And so even with this virtual um, learning that we have going on, we've seen that there are some students that learn better at home in front of the computer where they're not distracted by everything else in the classroom. And so I think that the education system is going to have to do more to accommodate different learning styles, um, to customize learning styles for Um, our students, one, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Um, And so I think they need to take a better look at that um, so that our students can really excel the way they, um, the way that we know that they can. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, the classroom, what happens in schools and what happens in classrooms is so important. Like it can't be this, it can't be discarded. That's where kids mainly come for their education and with that education largely comes from the home as well when we talk about you know kids have no matter what happens in school they got to go back home um and parents are busy you know COVID-19 like we just talked about earlier flipped everyone's normal upside down and parents are quite frankly exhausted it can be exhausting I'm not a parent but I have friends lots of friends who are and I'm, I'm like I'm I'm right there with you as far as what I can imagine you're going through 
So what's one way that a parent can begin to encourage their child to be, you know, just to be, to be, to do, to, to um, express themselves, um, even on those days when the parents are on E, when they have nothing left, when they're just like, I want my child to still spend this day, um, you know, learning and growing, but I, I can't, I'm too tired to be involved. Like, what can people do? I would just honestly encourage parents to take it a step further. Like, I know the gas tank feels empty, but like sometimes hit the fumes so that you can have those thoughtful conversations with your child um, and really open up and listen to them because children tell you exactly what they need um, or they will show you what they need. Um, and so just being open to having conversations about things that are going on in the world, um, not asking closed ended questions like, oh, did you have a good day? But tell me the best part about your day or what was the hardest part about your day um, from those conversations? You can learn a lot and really troubleshoot or um, support you know, add extra supports where you need them. Um, but for parents that literally don't have an extra second in the day, there are lots of great tools online, Khan Academy, where I know a lot of um, parents reach out because they their students are struggling with math and science. And I always direct people to um, Khan Academy. They have the best videos um, for walking students through, you know, so many different, um, educational areas and then um, making sure that you maintain contact with their teachers um, or other support staff in the school. I know Baltimore City Schools always has community schools. Most schools have a community school coordinator um, and they have extra resources available or they can connect you to you know, community organizations like ours that can provide you know additional supports where you may not be able to. Um, but lean on your community, lean on your teachers, lean on that, that support staff um, and really focus on like building a village for the students. Because we know parenting is hard, especially single parenting is hard. But there's um, mentoring programs and, and good community organizations out here that are ready to stand in and fill in the gap. I was talking to a teacher recently um, about the different resources that are available in schools. And she was saying that a lot of parents do not come and lead on those community coordinators or don't come and ask about the resources. And I think it could be in large part because folks don't even know that they can go and ask. But now you heard it from Tony, y'all. You there? You can go to your child's school. You can tell the educators or the community coordinators what's going on. Ask, you know, even if you have to go in or email somebody and say, "This is what I'm going through. What do you have to where you to help me? You know, how can I be helped?" There are folks in place who can do that. So thank you for sharing. Um, and so Tony, this is the last question. I'm wondering for us adults, how can we begin to peel back the layers of socially imposed expectations that we ourselves are dealing with and simply be be ourselves, you know, grow into our true selves? Um you have to sit with yourself. Um sit with yourself and see and, and analyze your feelings. Um, sit in those hard moments, like if there's a, a long, if you've had a long day or, you know, you may be going through something like journaling, writing those things down and actually sitting in those emotions and thoughts um, to figure out, you know, where the pain points are and try to, you know, map it back to, you know, the source and the cause and then figure out how you can improve from there. 
um, leaning on friends, leaning on family, um, being really socially aware and and being like gentle and patient with yourself because there's a lot going on in the world. It really is. Um, but leaning into those uncomfortable feelings and those uncomfortable places is a good start. Well, thank you so much. Um, you heard it, guys. You know, it's great advice. Be patient with yourself. Sit with yourself um, and really lean into those emotions that you are feeling. Um, the things that are around you can be the things that really help you to activate what you're supposed to be doing or want to do, you know, and, and, and we can peel back those layers of those socially imposed expectations. And even as adults, after all that we've been through, <laughs> blossom into better versions of ourselves. And so, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. And I'd love for you to th- tell listeners listeners where they can learn more about your organization and really get involved. Yeah. So um, the beorg.com for all things, programming, donations, contact. Um, that's T H E B E O R G.com. Um, the beorg on Facebook and Instagram T H E B E O R G. Um, or if you want to send me an email, I'll be happy to connect with you there. The org at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. You know where to find her. You know where to, to get in touch with the program. She dropped so many wonderful resources. So please make sure you share this with everyone you know. And if you are a parent, educator, or innovator, use this um, wisdom that Tony's dropped today to, to do what you need to do. And you, you know what it is, especially when you sit with yourself, just like she told you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for joining me. We truly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Bye-bye. So what'd you think? How will you take what you learned today on the Ed Gap Evolution podcast to make sure that more children and families know that they have more options for building a magnificent future? If you like what you heard and want to get notified when the next episode goes live, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll notify you when the next episode is out. Don't forget to check the show notes where I share information on today's guests. And yes, we do have a website. You can always pop in on us at www.edgapevolution.com. Again, I'm Mariah Phillips, and I leave you with this. Embrace the evolution, y'all.